Welcome to another episode of Search News You Can Use with me, Dr. Marie Haynes. We're recording this episode a day earlier than usual, uh, and our newsletter is going to be out a day earlier as well, coming out on Tuesday this week, because tomorrow is Canada Day for us. Uh, those of you who are in the States, I know you have your holiday coming up this weekend. It's going to be a little bit different with the way that the world is these uh, these days. Our neighbors usually put on a fantastic fireworks show, so we're, uh, we're happy for that. Um, you know, we can still do that in social distance. Uh, I'm happy just to have a day off in the middle of the week. I think uh, it's going to be fun, probably play some Fortnite, do some stuff with the family. Um, in the meantime, though, let's talk about what's happening with Google. Um, this episode, you know, we're going to cover a number of things, but you can get even more information in our newsletter, search news you can use. This podcast episode corresponds to episode number 139 of the newsletter, uh, recorded or published on June 30th of 2020. I can't believe it's the end of June already. My goodness, what a strange year this has been. Well, let's talk about what Google has been doing. You know, it really took us a long time to figure out what to write in our algorithm update section of newsletter this week. Um, we reported last week that there were quite a few sites that saw changes around June 22nd or June 23rd, and we couldn't really put any pattern together to say, oh, it looks like Google is preferring this or, uh, you know, websites that have this feature seem to do poorly. Uh, and there really weren't enough websites in our profile that we monitor uh, of all of our clients to uh, that were seeing changes on June 22nd or 23rd that really seemed to warrant us doing a full investigation in terms of algorithm updates. Uh, and just before we were, uh, <laughs> I just finished up my uh, assignments for newsletter. All of our staff have assignments every week. It's a great way to uh, 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 teach my staff um, and have my staff teach me as well and teach each other what, what Google's doing. We all get assigned to write up certain things that are happening in the industry. And I had just finished my assignments. I was about ready to record podcast. And then uh, somebody pointed out um, that Glenn Gabe and Lily Ray had tweeted some things about the June 22nd uh, update. I I don't even know if I want to call it an update. But what they had noticed is that a number of government sites saw incredible gains uh, in that time. So June 22nd, June 23rd. And sure enough, uh, I had a look. Uh, Lily tweeted a list of a number of sites that I believe she pulled from Systrix, uh, showing that they saw very, very big increases in uh, organic visibility. Some of those sites, uh, they're, and they're all either .gov or .org sites, uh, a couple of .edu's as well, but all very, very authoritative websites. Uh, examples include health.gov, uh, mayo.edu, uh, I don't know how that's different than Mayo Clinic. Uh, I guess that's, uh, uh, you know, it still sounds like an authoritative site. Uh, Seattle.gov, um, healthaffairs.org. There's quite a few sites that uh, saw, and not just a little increase, like a very, very dramatic sudden growth in the amount of traffic that Google was sending them starting around June 22nd, some of them June 23rd. So I did spend some time looking into this just before publishing and recording podcast. And first of all, I do agree. There's uh, definitely some changes that are seen here. Um, the thing that I can't figure out, though, is what changed, other than perhaps Google has just turned up the dial on authority. Um, I looked back at last week. We reported that a number of our clients were seeing improvements uh, with the this, this potential update, and these improvements seem to start around June 22nd or June 23rd. Uh, but these sites are not the same as .gov sites. They're not, they were local businesses. Uh, they were um, just good websites, but not ones that we could say, oh, you know, we can connect this to what uh, other people are seeing in terms of authoritative government sites. So what happened here? Um, it's possible that Google simply turned up the dial for, uh, if they've determined that a query is YMYL, so pertaining to your money or your life, 
then, uh, you know, they, they already say in their guide on how they fight disinformation, they already say that when a query is YMYL, they much prefer to show an authoritative website. If um, I write something on a medical blog that I just put together, it's not going to be immediately as authoritative as something that is on healthcare.gov. Um, and so when healthcare.gov writes something, there's Instant, instantly uh, some trust that comes from Google. Um, and it looks like, you know, maybe they just turned up this dial a little bit. It's also possible, though, that uh, Google's changed something in recognizing relevancy. We've been really digging into the May core update more, and I hope to have some more information for you at some point in the future if you've been affected by the May core update. But very much of what we're seeing is that it points to Google getting better at determining when web pages are are relevant to whatever the query was. Uh, and in some cases, it seems that Google is really preferring firsthand expertise. And maybe this is what we're seeing uh, an element of with these late June changes, that uh, Google has recognized that when you search for, what was the term now? I was looking at the seattle.gov site, and it was things like... Um, Oh, something to do with parking tickets. It was to do with the municipality, basically. And if I was searching for information on parking tickets, information that comes from the official website of Seattle, of the city of Seattle, is probably going to be more relevant. I, I, I want to see what does the city say? I don't want to see an op-ed on, you know, what does this blogger think about the parking regulations in Seattle? Um, rather, I think, uh, you know, Google might be be able to recognize that when people are searching for this type of thing, they're looking for the official website. Now, uh, you know, what can we glean from this? Not a whole lot at this point. If you were affected, uh, if your traffic was affected either positively or negatively on June 22nd or June 23rd, and you can't tie it in to, um, you know, a, a, an easy explanation. And let me, let me explain that a little bit more. Some of our clients that saw improvements on June 22nd and June 23rd, they had one piece of content that was just doing really well. And especially in this age of coronavirus, if you publish something, people are very hungry for news right now. And so one of our clients that looked like they were seeing this massive rebound in terms of uh, rankings and traffic, um, we looked more deeply and it looked like it was just one page that was going viral that was doing really well. And so that can make it hard sometimes to, to figure out um, what is it that's happening to your website. Uh, but if you had changes in your traffic patterns, in your rankings around that time, so June 22nd, June 23rd, I would love for you to tweet at me. You can find me at Marie underscore Haynes on Twitter. Uh, I can't guarantee you that I will look deeply into your situation, uh, but I am looking for examples of sites that were affected on this date, either positively or negatively, so we can just dig in a little bit further. Um, I, I think I mentioned this in the past episode, but we've actually put together a team at MHC now to look even more deeply at very odd things that are happening with algorithm updates. Uh, at this point, um, you know, we're doing this primarily for our clients that we're doing site reviews for. Uh, but who knows, this might be something that, uh, that uh, if we get really good at it, um, we may be offering it more in the future. It, it's really a lot of fun. Uh, and also, it can be a very, very large rabbit hole. Rabbit hole? Rabbit trail? Rabbit hole. I, I struggle with that. Rabbit hole you would fall into. A rabbit trail wouldn't be large, but you'd go down it. I don't know. And you know what I'm saying. It could really distract us. Um, and so uh, I would love to spend my entire week just looking at, oh, this thing changed in Google, and how can we explain this? Uh, but we are spending more time on that, and so we hope to share that information with you as we get more insight or more thoughts on what it is that Google is doing. Um, we've wrote written about this in our algo update list. If you uh, haven't seen it, you can go to mariehaines.com slash algo, A-L-G-O. And anytime there is a significant algorithm update or something that really impacts rankings for many, many websites, we've written down uh, our thoughts on what this is uh, in our algorithm update post. 
Um, let's see here. Google has updated their How Search Works documentation. If you haven't read this, you really should. There's a lot of really good information on how Google works, how they crawl the web, how they determine uh, which websites to show, and you, you actually can learn stuff. The updates that uh, they published, um, our team looked at it, and there are some changes, but I don't think there's anything crazy significant at this point. Uh, they've made it clear that it's important to leave key resources like images, CSS, JavaScript, um, to make sure that they're crawlable for Google. Um, and there's also a mention of Google analyzing the overall visual layout of a page uh, and tips on how to test the rendering of your site's visual elements um, for, you know, in the mobile friendliness tool. Um, with core web vitals coming, it does seem, well, and I mean, they're here, but becoming a ranking factor at some point in the future. Uh, it does seem like Google is really, really focused on uh, user experience. And, you know, the core web vitals talk about things like if your page is shifting around on mobile because ads are causing the content to jump up and down, um, that's something that could be seen as a negative now. Uh, and so you really need to be paying attention to these core web vitals. Uh, the How Search Works document it also now explicitly mentions that it's not necessary to provide a site map, site map uh, containing pages for a small website under a thousand pages, um, provided that all of your URLs are linked within your site hierarchy in a way that they can be found um, with just a regular crawl path. Uh, this is nothing new. You know, we haven't really been pushing site maps for smaller sites. Uh, site maps are a way for Google to discover content. Um, and if you're a smaller site and Google is struggling to discover your content, you might have an issue with how your content is linked internally on your site. Uh, if you are finding that when you publish something new and Google just won't grab it, they won't index it, it either means that they can't find it or that they don't think it's high enough quality to index. And so that's an issue. Now, Google is not going to index every single page on your site. I've seen people say this where they, they say, you know, I have this one page that can't index. What's wrong with it? Uh, and sometimes Google just decides, like, look, we've, we've got really great content on this topic, and this page isn't any better than what else we've already got, so let's just not include it. I, I know I'm very oversimplifying <laughs> what Google does, but the point that I'm trying to make is that not all of your content is going to be indexed all the time. But if you are struggling with Google finding your content, um, then maybe take a look at, you know, how easy is it for Google to find this stuff? Um, if they land on your most important posts, are your uh, other posts linked to from there? Uh, do you have orphaned pages that you've published but you haven't linked to from anywhere important? Those are all things that you should be uh, looking at. Um, Google had more news uh, about free product listings. This is a little bit outside of my area of expertise, but we included it in newsletter. Uh, Google announced a further change to shopping. So they announced changes to Google Shopping we talked about that over a couple of months ago. Um, instead of just being limited to the Google Shopping tab now, the main search results page in the U.S. will begin showing more free listings as well for Google Shopping. Um, initially, free listings on Google Search will appear in a product knowledge panel, uh, you know, showing buying options for a given product. Currently, the buying listings here are all sponsored links, but starting this summer, these listings will all be free, and you'll be able to see this getting rolled out in the U.S. first. It'll start on mobile devices before eventually moving to desktop, and shopping ads will appear separately at the top of the page, just clearly marked as regular ads. So I don't know all of the details on how this works, but certainly if you are e-commerce, uh, if you are having people trying to buy your products, you want to pay attention to this. It, it looks like, uh, I don't know what Google's goal is here, um, but there are some things that are, are happening in this area of Google for sure. Um, let's talk about scroll to text. I think most of you know what I'm talking about here. This is a newer change that happens where, um, let's say I do a search and I see a featured snippet and the featured snippet contains, you know, maybe two sentences of text and I'm like, oh, that's the answer to my question. And I click on it 
and then I get to the page. In the past, I would often go, oh, this is a really long page. Let me do either control F or tap on the three dots on my phone uh, and do a search on this page to find out where are those two lines of text that I thought were relevant to my query. Well, now what usually happens, it, it seems a little buggy to me because it doesn't happen all the time and sometimes I've got to refresh the page, but what Google wants to happen is that um, uh, that text that was appearing in the featured snippet will be highlighted on the page that I have just opened and also it, the page will automatically scroll to that area. So Brody Clark tweeted uh, some really good tips on how we could use this information when we're doing research on our competitors. And this really was exciting to me. So what Brody showed, he showed using SEMrush. Uh, SEMrush, I do believe that you have to be a paid member of SEMrush in order to use this feature. Um, I still think there's things you could be doing. I, I'm not really sure if you can do this if you're not a paid user. Uh, but what you can do is you can look at your competitors' featured snippets. That's not new. That's something that SEMrush has offered for quite some time. Um, but what you can do, though, is uh, Brody noticed that when somebody uh, has one of these scroll-to-text featured snippets, uh, there's actually a little squiggle um, in the URL. I don't know the official name for that squiggle, the thing that's in the top left of your keyboard. Uh, I'm going to call it a squiggle. I think you know what I mean. If you do searches for your competitors' URLs that have those squiggles in them, on SEMrush showing featured snippets, then you'll see which parts of pages are being pulled into featured snippets. And this is really interesting. So I just played around with it for a little bit. Um, and I looked first of all at WikiHow. Uh, and one of their first results was, it was a question, I think the query was something about how to determine the circumference of, uh, uh, what was it? Oh, the radius of a circle once you have the circumference. And, um, you know, there was a whole article on WikiHow about uh, how to do this. And then there was a user-generated section uh, with community answers. And one of the community answers was highlighted in the featured snippet. Now, what would you do with that? If this was my website, then I would be saying, look, this is the answer that Google thinks is the most relevant to this query. We need to have this text or something very similar to this text in the main content of my uh, article as opposed to in the user-generated content. Now, we know that user-generated content is treated by Google as a part of your main content, but what we don't know is if it's given the same level of importance. So again, if I had this page that was helping people figure out how do I figure out this radius when I already have the circumference of a circle, then I would make sure that that information that clearly answers the question is in the main content and not just available in the user-generated content. So if you find, if you do this for your own featured snippets and you see that often Google is pulling information out of your comments section to feature as a, a featured snippet, then maybe you need to move some of that information. Uh, maybe you can rewrite it in a way that makes more sense in the main content, but that can potentially help you. Um, another thing that uh, I looked at was Healthline. Healthline has uh, a very large number of featured snippets. And so we did the same thing looking at Healthline and we noticed that in almost every single case, the featured snippet was pulled from the first line of text that came after their H1 tag. Uh, and so the example that I tweeted about um, this week was a post that uh, the H1 tag said, what is intermittent fasting? And then you can see underneath the text that Google pulled out for the featured snippet and also did the scroll to text for, uh, started with intermittent fasting is an eating pattern that cycles between periods of fasting and eating. And it goes on to list a few more sentences after that. So what can we gain from that? We've learned a lot by looking at uh, how Healthline structures their pages. Um, and how they they have very good author bios. They have they have a number of things that uh, Google seems to really reward. And Healthline fascinates me because they're not the Mayo Clinic. Like they're not. I mean, if you look at the Mayo Clinic, this is an actual real life clinic that sees people with disease day in and day out, and they've got loads of firsthand expertise. And yet Healthline. 
uh, as far as I know, they're just very good writers with a very good, uh, they use make good use of doctors. Um, they do a lot of things right in terms of SEO. Uh, and so um, when I looked at this, I thought, well, here's a lesson in how to write content so that you can win featured snippets. Uh, and so it may be helpful to look at which of Healthline's content is w gaining featured snippets and how they write it. I mean, they, they basically say, look, what is this health condition? And then they answer it saying, this health condition is this. Uh, and that's something kind of basic um, instructions on how to write content so that Google would be happy to grab it for a featured snippet. Uh, the other thing I looked at was Amazon. If you're selling a product, you you know you can look at Amazon. You could even put more filters on your SEMrush um, analysis to look at just the keywords that um, you're competing against Amazon for. In in one case, uh, one of the scroll to text examples that SEMrush gave me for Amazon was uh, the query was wool dryer balls. Uh, I, I learned a little bit about what wool dryer balls are. Um, now it's all left my memory, so I can't tell you what it is. But um, when I tweeted about it, it was very interesting to see that the page on Amazon that's selling these balls, you had to scroll down many, many pages uh, or screens basically before you got the section of text that Google was actually referencing in the scroll to text. So what I learned from that is if Google is pulling this tiny section of text to describe what wool dryer balls are, uh, and they're pulling it out of almost the bottom of the page, if I was selling wool dryer balls, I would write something, I'm not going to copy exactly what Amazon says, but I'm going to write something that basically says the same thing, but even better. And I'm going to make that higher up on the page and make that my main, uh, my main content for this particular page. Because if Google has to grab it from the very bottom of an Amazon page, they probably would like to grab it uh, from a page that has more information on it. So, uh, you know, we haven't played around with trying to rank any sites against uh, the information that we, using the information that we got here. Uh, but I think if you're doing work for either your website or a client's website, and just trying to see how you could win more featured snippets, then this is something that really, really could help you. Let's talk about irrelevant links. That sounds like a, something much more serious than it is, but really it's not. Irrelevant links. Um, somebody asked John Mueller on Twitter, if a domain has lots of irrelevant links that are not related to the service the site offers, would you suggest to disavow or contact the site owners and get them pulled? John's answer was very simple. He said, random doesn't mean they're bad. We see this all the time. I see people who say, look, I have a website uh, that talks about coffee cups and all of a sudden I got these links from some casino website. Uh, I should disavow those, right? And I mean, it depends on the type of link. that We have these different classifications of links that we disavow. If you see something happen on a massive scale and you're like, what the heck is happening here? Because all of a sudden I'm getting thousands and thousands of these super odd links that are not connected to my topic at all. They're not relevant at all. That can sometimes mean that your site is being a victim of a hack, uh, you know, maybe a malware issue. It can be some, it can mean something is unusual there, but also sometimes that just happens. For whatever reason, things happen. I've shared this story before, but uh, and it's not the perfect example for this, but we had a client that I did a link audit for a few years ago, and um, they had a number of links from adult websites. And a lot of people would say, oh, you see an adult link and you're not an adult website, then you should immediately disavow those because Google's not going to like it. Let's think back to why do we disavow links? We disavow links primarily to tell Google that you're not manipulating Google search results. And so if you had done some type of link building on a large scale and, um, you know, somebody like me comes along and says, uh, hey, if 
the web spam team looks at this, there's a possibility that you could get a manual action, then those are the links that you want to disavow. Now, when we do a site review or when we do a link audit and we file a disavow, if we find these really spammy, irrelevant links, we'll toss them in the disavow a lot of the time, but not always. So going back to the site that got all of these adult links that came in, it turns out that the product that the site was selling, um, there was a use for this product in... I don't, I don't really know how to exactly say it, but in some uh, pornographic websites, there was a, a, a way that this product was used. It's not the normal use for this product. Um, might not be the most enjoyable thing for most of us to, to think about, but um, in terms of the links, those were actual relevant mentions for this site. Even though like a normal person would not connect why are adult websites linking to this client? It, it, it didn't seem to initially make sense, but they actually were recommending our client's products. Uh, and so those are good links, even though they're not links. It was not a fun link audit to do. Actually, I have a funny story about this. I was doing a link audit. I think it was for that site too. And this was, this was years ago before I had an office and I had a staff. And I would occasionally go and just sit in a Starbucks or some other coffee shop uh, and do my work. Uh, I've learned that you really should not do link audits when you're in a public place. Um, I'll just tell you that when adult websites open with sound in a public place, it's not a good thing. <laughs> um, so anyways, the point that I'm trying to make here is that you don't disavow a link just because it looks weird or random. So again, if you were a site selling coffee cups and you got a whole bunch of links from casino websites, they're probably not going to hurt you in Google's algorithms. They're very unlikely to help you. Uh, I wouldn't really worry about disavowing them unless you already have a history of really trying to bend Google's guidelines in, in terms of link building. Then that's where we get much more strict in what uh, types of links we want to disavow. Um, there was a question again on Twitter about whether adding hreflang to multi-language pages will help it to rank better. And uh, there's a lot of confusion about hreflang. hreflang is essentially saying, hey, I have this page here and it's in English and we have other versions of this page in other languages and so here's the German version of this page, here's the French version of this page. Uh, and although they are not exactly the same, they're essentially uh, t writing on the same topic. So John said, quote, hreflang would help the better page of the set to rank for the appropriate language or country, but it won't improve ranking of your pages on its own. Accordingly, if you just have one language version, hreflang won't change anything. So hreflang is essentially just helping Google figure out which language version they should show to that particular searcher. It's not like they'll say, oh, you know, we don't have a French version uh, of a page, so this site has a French version, so now we should rank it above everybody else. It, it doesn't work that way. It just kind of helps Google figure out which of your multiple versions you have, should you have multiple versions uh, that they want to show to users. Uh, let's talk a little bit more about disk discuss comments. I had a couple of people reach out to tell me that I was mispronouncing. Uh, it really looks to me like discus. Uh, apparently discus should be pronounced discuss. So I'm going to call it discuss comments. If you use discuss comments, you'll find, uh, you might find that sometimes they're indexed and sometimes they're not. And Google has been working on this. There was apparently a bug that was causing them to have issues indexing discus, dis <laughs> discuss com content. Um, and uh, the, the really interesting thing is that Google apparently fixed this on June 23rd. Now, we just spent time talking at the beginning of this podcast on the fact that uh, June 23rd, there was some kind of an update. And I think it's possible that um, comments, you know, all of a sudden being indexed and then all of a sudden not being indexed, it can change the content that's on pages because those content comments provided Google can see them count towards the, the content on your page. And so if all of a sudden, you know, Google is seeing that content and then they're not seeing that content, that can change rankings. It certainly can. Uh, and that happened at the same time as these government sites apparently were seeing changes. I don't think the two are connected. I think these are two very random things. So Glenn Gabe did some testing on this and um, he, uh, 
he recrawled some pages that were having issues with uh, Google comment or with discuss com discuss comments. Gosh, I'm never going to be able to say that right. Um, and what he found was that uh, when submitting pages with discuss comments via Search Console, some of the comments were being indexed, and some of them that previously were indexed are not indexed. Uh, and so Martin Split from Google uh, actually chimed in on this discussion. And apparently what he said was that if uh, sometimes the comments and especially discuss comments can um, cause crawl issues, crawl rate issues with Google. And if they're being very heavily requested, uh, if Google has to spend a lot of resources to call, crawl your comments, then they might just time out and not crawl them, which means that they're not going to be indexed as well. So this is not something that we've tested. If your site has a lot of comments, especially if they're discussed comments, see I'm getting better at saying it now. If, they have a, if you have a lot of these comments, then you may want to be looking to see if they're indexed or not. It's very easy to check because you can just take text from the comment, search for it on Google, and uh, you'll see whether Google can find that that comment is on your page or not. Um, this was really interesting, and I, I, I don't know that I have the exact answer to this, but I thought it was cool that uh, IBM jumped into Reddit to ask a question about structured data. Now, um, the post, and we've, we've linked to it from our newsletter, uh, is saying that they implemented it was a trust radius widget um, that and trust radius is essentially you can collect reviews uh, with this this uh, widget and then you can post them on your website and say here's what people are saying about our company uh, and that what they were saying was they put these reviews on their page they um, used Google's structured data testing tool. And the tool told them that the structured data was totally fine, and yet they can't get review stars to show in the search results uh, for any of these pages. Most likely, this is connected to Google's announcement last year where you can't have uh, self-serving reviews uh, uh, um, to generate stars, basically. I'm going to read um, from the post that Google gave us back in 2019 about this. It says, in the past, an entity like a business or an organization could add review markup about themselves to their homepage or another page and often cause a review snippet to show for that page. The markup could have been added directly by the entity or embedded through the use of a third-party widget. So this is what happened with IBM. They used a third-party widget. The post goes on to say, we consider this, quote, self-serving, end quote, because the entity itself has chosen to add, to add the markup on its own pages about its own business or organization. Self-serving reviews are no longer displayed for businesses and organizations. Um, for example, we will no longer display rich review snippets for how people have reviewed a business if those reviews are considered self-serving. In the past, I think the, the guidelines that we would give as SEOs said, look, if it's a third-party widget, you didn't collect those reviews. They were collected on a third party. And so, yes, Google should show those and they should trigger review stars. Um, and then Google came out and said, no, no, those are still self-serving. And, you know, if you say, oh, yes, uh, you know, we've collected all these reviews and everybody that we talk to thinks we're great. I mean, you can selectively decide which of those reviews to put on your website, right? Uh, I do think there are ways that you can use some of these widgets that show all of the reviews. And sometimes that's really bad. Uh, I've seen many cases where I'm on an e-commerce site and it says, here's what our customers are saying about us. And it just pulls the most recent reviews. And sometimes those aren't the best reviews. Uh, regardless, it's fine to use those plugins and widgets and things on your site, uh, but you will probably won't be able to trigger review stars in the search results if you're doing that. Um, in terms of local SEO, it doesn't look like there's any significant update happening at the time um, in terms of algorithm updates. If you uh, run a Google My Business profile, you may notice now that uh, if Google is removing reviews from your profile, they're actually going to let you know about that. Uh, ben Fisher tweeted a message that he got from Google My Business that says, a review has been removed from your business profile. So that's kind of cool. Um, if you have bad reviews and you're uh, hoping to get them removed, uh, Google will let you know if they've done that now. So that's, uh, that's a good thing. 
Um, there was more information about messaging in Google Maps. This actually has me a little bit concerned because the messaging app, the times I've used it, it's bugged out. Like, it doesn't work really well. Uh, if you remember, I want to say it's a couple years ago now, local businesses had the uh, ability to um, add a thing in their Google My Business to basically say, look, you can text us, uh, send us a message. And then it would send a message to the business owner and the business owner had an opportunity to respond to that. Um, apparently Google is expanding this now and it's something that is not just for small local businesses, uh, but they are actually, it sounds like they're hoping that it's going to be a messaging portal for very large businesses. I believe they said Walmart was using it or had been testing it. Um, let's see. They say today we're expanding business messages in maps and search to support all kinds of businesses and giving them the ability to integrate business messages directly with their customer service platforms. Uh, I don't need to read all of this, but it, it does sound like something interesting. I, I'm certainly not the expert on talking about this, uh, but if it is something where, uh, you know, you've got people that are trying to reach you through search, uh, it might be worth looking into. Apparently there's an API. Uh, I don't know though, like some of these big businesses, they're going to need staff, like many staff just to monitor these messages. So I don't know how that's going to work, but it looks interesting and we'll be paying attention to see if there's more news that's coming out on this topic. Uh, we have some great recommended reading in the newsletter this week. For those of you who are premium subscribers for our newsletter, I'll just put a little pitch out there. It's $18 US a month. Um, we've been told it's well worth it. it a lot of um, SEO companies use our newsletter as training for your new staff or for all of your staff just to stay up to date with what's uh, going on with Google. If you're a premium subscriber to our newsletter, uh, my staff actually spends time summarizing the most uh, helpful SEO articles each week. And and you'll get those summaries so you don't have to read through hours and hours of uh, writing. There's some really good articles that came out this week. One of them I want to highlight is an article uh, by Lily Ray talking about how to evaluate authors in terms of EAT and SEO. And there's a lot of stuff there. I mean, we've written a lot and I've spoken a lot about what the quality raters guidelines say we should be doing or at least users expect to be seeing in terms of authors, but there's a lot that we don't know about exactly what Google does. Uh, you know, and we've had these debates back and forth between, uh, how right, you know, Google doesn't know who wrote a post, but yet Google can tell if a post is expert written. Uh, it, it's, it's confusing. So what we do is we try to gather as much information, uh, as possible. And then we just add stuff to websites saying, look, as long as there's no harm in doing this, Let's give it a try. And we've had many cases where, uh, you know, we've beefed up author EAT and done things to help Google better understand who's writing this post and why are they qualified to write this post. And it does seem to really help. Um, mo I wouldn't say <laughs> a good number of our clients that uh, have implemented our advice in terms of improving their author EAT have done much better with core updates um, than they have in the past. So, uh, so here's... Uh, I would encourage you to read the article. It's on Search Engine Journal um, called Five Ways to Evaluate Your Authors for SEO. I'm not going to rehash uh, the whole article here because we've summarized it again in newsletter. Uh, but one of the things I really liked is that Google, uh, Google, <laughs> Lily, there, Lily, you're synonymous with Google now. Um, Lily was saying that you can extract author information from your pages using the XPath from the HTML. That sounds super complicated, but it's not. Um, you can use something like Screaming for Frog and Screaming Frog has very, very, there's, there's tutorials to tell you how to use this X path. We've done this for clients too, uh, where what you can do is you can basically crawl all of your clients' pages and um, pull out the author name from each of these pages and then get some stats for these authors. And so what Lily is suggesting is create a pivot table to outline how well each author is performing in search. Um, and then you can even do things like look at the readability of their articles. I know uh, Lily and Path Interactive have, have done some studies on showing uh, in certain 
verticals, the reading score seems to be correlated to uh, how well certain pages rank. And it's not always, you know, the more complicated, the better. In some cases, I think Google can determine that the reader maybe doesn't want to read, uh, uh, you know, a scientific um, article that perhaps a, uh, you know, a research scientist would read. Maybe they're looking for more layman's terms. Uh, and so that that is a possibility as well. Um, one of the things that we did for uh, some clients in the past, when we're trying to clean up thin content, uh, sometimes what we'll do is we'll scrape the, um, the content and, or we'll crawl the content and do this again where we extract uh, the author name and we extract a bunch of, da a bunch of data showing, uh, we'll connect it with our Google Analytics data to show like, oh, when this particular author writes, uh, he or she has way more social shares than the other authors on the website. So maybe we should get more stuff from this author. Or when this particular author shares, uh, they don't tend to get any comments on their posts. So maybe uh, their posts are not as valuable. Um, things like that. So you can really do a lot of analysis and there's no rules that are set in stone to say like, oh, an author that has this many views is definitely good. You know, you're, you're really using your brain and figuring out like, oh, readers, our users tend to prefer the content that's written by this person. Uh, and that can really give you some uh, insight into what it is. Because if you, if you can figure out what it is that your users prefer, then that's where Google's goal is. You know, we don't always know exactly how they do it, but Google's goal is to provide us with the search results that we're looking for. Uh, and so if you can please users, a lot of the time that seems to do well in Google's algorithms. Um, Lily also talked about using uh, structured data for authors, which has been, you know, it's been in the news recently too. Uh, structured data is not a ranking factor. But sometimes, and this is this is some theory here, uh, Lily was talking about using same as schema, which is something we recommend too, where you can say uh, this particular author is the same author that writes for this medical journal or is, you know, owns this medical practice or, you know, like you want to basically say, look, he or she is a big name and, under, and knows what they're talking about and is seen as an authority. And here's all the other authoritative places where they've written as well. Um, we have one particular client where we feel like this really, really helped them. Um, and it was after a rebrand. I've talked about this case many times, so I won't go into great detail. But uh, they rebranded and we just felt like Google wasn't connecting the dots in saying like, oh, this is the same company that we used to honor <laughs> in the past. And so Schema, including same as schema, seemed to really help. And in that case, with a subsequent core update, the site uh, did extremely well after we kind of helped Google to connect the dots. Personally, I think that had we given it enough time, Google probably would have figured it out on their own. But who knows how long it would have taken. So we'll happily take the credit. <laughs> I think a lot of the stuff that, that uh, happens in SEO, you know, we do something and then we go, oh, this site did great that thing must be perfect. Um, and sometimes it's coincidence, but you know, as long as it's going in the right direction, I don't care whether it's coincidence or not. Uh, you know, we just want our sites to do better and to be seen as higher quality all around. I'm going to do a couple of Q and a questions here. We had a couple of interesting questions that, uh, I think I can cover fairly quickly. Um, first, when it comes to online publications or blogs, what's the best strategy SEO-wise for having a list of popular posts and related posts in the sidebar? How does it affect internal linking? How have you seen it go wrong or decrease traffic or go right and increase traffic? I don't have the exact answer for you on this, but First of all, what I think, you know, what this person is asking about is uh, WordPress sites. Um, they'll have, most of the themes will have an option to display your most popular posts on your homepage. And then uh, a user can click through and end up on that section of your blog. Um, these, I mean, internal links are important. And if you have new content and you want Google to discover it, it has to be linked to from somewhere. So, um, you know, one place is to link it through uh, a sidebar and you can say, here's our new posts, here's our most popular posts, because your most popular posts are the ones that you want to link to from your homepage, right? Uh, assuming that they're posts that are valuable to your company, that help your company make business or, you know, display ads or, uh, you know, they make you money in some sort of way. 
Um, so yes, it's very important to link to your important content from your homepage. The question though is whether it's best to do this in a sidebar in the form of a plugin or in a different way. Now I haven't extensively tested this, but I'll tell you a little bit of my um, uh, experience in this area. One of my very first websites uh, had a bunch of Q&A content on it. And um, what I was finding is that uh, many of my posts were not being found by Google because I was producing so much content every day and I really didn't have a great internal linking structure. And so what I did was created a little, I wrote it in PHP, just a little random post generator. Uh, and so it would appear on my homepage and also on the sidebar of all my other pages. Now, I don't know if this is best practice because it kind of made Google, it made Google crawl in a very haphazard way, but it did make a difference in getting my content discovered by Google. What works even better though is to, and this is theory, I don't have 100% proof on this, but this is what I believe, is if you can link your most important posts from within the main content of your homepage. So, um, and the trick is to do it in a way that doesn't look spammy. So let's say that you have a, a very, very important page on your website and um, it brings you a lot of money. Uh, for example, uh, one of our most important pages on our website is our service page that talks about uh, our doing traffic drop assessments. Now, we've linked to that from our main navigation, uh, but we also link to it in an in-text, an inline text link from the content on our homepage. So if you uh, go to our homepage, you'll see you can hire Marie and the MHC team to do a traffic drop assessment, and that's the internal link uh, that points to our traffic drop assessment page. Now, why is that better than a sidebar that contains our most popular pages, one of which could be our page on traffic drop assessments and the site audits that we do? Well, for two reasons. First, Google has told us, and I've, I've got several quotes from Gary Ish and also uh, Zineb8, I don't know if I'm saying her name correctly, um, talking about how Google will value links on a page differently depending on where they are on the page. And so if Google recognizes that a link is a part of the boilerplate content on your page, it probably isn't given as much emphasis as a link that's within the text on the main content. The second reason to do this is um, because Google can grab more from the words that are surrounding your link. So if you, uh, you know, and I, we probably could do better in the wording on our homepage where it says you can hire Marie and the MHC team to do a traffic drop assessment or link audit is the, uh, the other thing it says. Um, in some situations though, uh, Google will take the text on either side of a link and use that as um, uh, sort of hints as to what this page is about. Uh, and so you can give Google more information by linking from within the main content of your page. The problem the problem though is that uh, it's very easy to overdo this and you don't want a homepage that's littered with like, let's say you have 2,000 pages on your website, you can't link to every one of those pages from within the main text on your homepage. You also uh, don't want to do it where it just looks like it's for SEO, you know, that no human being would ever read that. So yes, internal links are very, very important. Uh, internal links can certainly help improve rankings and uh, what I would say is test it. You know, put a put put a, a widget on um, showing your most popular posts and see do your rankings improve at all? If not, then start adding um, uh, the text in the main content, like I said, and see did that improve rankings at all? Y you know, internal linking is a really, really easy way to jump up a position or two in rankings a lot of the time. Um, we'll do this a lot where, uh, you know, like let's say we wrote an article about EAT and then what we'll do is a site colon search. So I'll go site colon mariehaines.com EAT and that'll show me all the pages that Google thinks are relevant to EAT on my site. And then I want to go to each of those pages and go, have I linked back to our main page on EAT? Have I linked with a followed link? Have I linked using anchor text that really describes the page? Um, and if not, then let's add a link in there. And often that will uh, push a page up in rankings. It can sometimes take a day or two, but often uh, that can work. Um, and then another question that we have here, and we'll probably finish podcast with this one, is about authors. Um, when you have a multi-author blog or publication, do you no-index the author archive? 
there's so much mixed information on this subject in SEO forums. Not, uh, okay, some of the articles have multiple articles to their name. Um, do you know index author archives? Okay, so the reason why people would want to no index these is for fear of duplicate content. Um, if you have uh, an article and that article appears, you know, you've got a little excerpt from your article, the, the three or four lines that says, this is what this article is about. And maybe that excerpt, it's on your homepage, it's on your category pages, it's on your archive pages, it's on your author pages, um, you know, and there's, uh, it's on the paginated pages, like it, it could be all over the website. Um, I'm not too worried about that as long as it's not annoying to users. So where duplicate content is a problem is when you're trying to do it to convince Google to rank you higher. Uh, and what I mean by this is um, if you've created, say, doorway pages where the content is essentially the same on every single page except you've swapped out the city name uh, so that you want to rank for every single city that you service. Um, that type of duplicate content can be seen by some of Google's algorithms as manipulative, and yes, it can be seen as a negative on your website. I'm not so worried about uh, duplicate content that comes from the way that WordPress sites are organized or other CMSs that are similar. Uh, Google has said in the past that they're pretty good at figuring out, you know, in the past we used to say, look, if you have tag pages uh, that are, you know, producing thousands and thousands of pages, those could count against Google's assessment of quality for your site. It's still possible, like if 90% of the stuff that's in the index is these tag pages that are just thin and not really helpful to people, then yeah, that's a, that's a possibility that that could be seen as a negative. But for the vast majority of sites, like Google knows, you're not trying to manipulate. It doesn't mean that the content on your site is any worse because you've got author pages that have the same excerpt that you can see on your homepage and on, on the article itself. Um, that's, I'm not worried about the duplicate content. Now, I do think you should have author archives uh, indexed. I think you want Google to see, like, you want to give them as many signals as you can to show here's all the stuff that this author wrote. However, I really would like to see um, some modifications made to your theme, probably, so that the author page is not just here's the author and here's a list of their blog posts. It also extols their EAT. And if you can do that, if you can have uh, three, four, five paragraphs that says, here's the awards they've won, here's why they're qualified to write on this subject, here's where they were quoted, uh, you know, all these things that say, that help the user to figure out, wow, this person really knows their stuff on this topic, then that's the type of thing that you want users to see and you want Google to see that as well. Probably the answer to all of this is it doesn't really matter. Um, but I would prefer to lean towards the side of having it indexed. Uh, I don't think it would be a negative for you unless you were doing some kind of weird, freaky thing where you were you found a way to like trick Google somehow. I can't even picture how that would work. So I would say go ahead and keep them indexed. Um, I think that's all we're going to do now. So I think if, uh, if you are enjoying a holiday weekend or a holiday week this week, be safe. Remember, the virus is still out there. Um, I think a lot of people are taking it way too uh, relaxed right now. Um, uh, so I just hope that most of you are safe and really have an enjoyable time. I hope, uh, hope you get to spend time with family and, uh, and, and maybe just take a day off and from thinking about what's going on in the world these days. Uh, me, uh, there's a big Fortnite update today. So I'm going to be playing a lot of Fortnite tomorrow. And um, who knows, maybe one day I'll start streaming that. I, I feel like I'm kind of getting to the point where I'm not really bad anymore. So if you're interested in seeing me stream Fortnite, let me know. Um, maybe it's a pipe dream of mine, but it's something I'd love to do. Thanks so much for listening. And uh, next week we'll be back on Wednesday with our regular podcast and newsletter episode. Uh, I wish you the best of luck with your rankings. Mm -hmm.